You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to Around the Lens, episode 244. I'm your host, David J. Murphy, a freelance visual journalist based out of South Korea. My guest this week is Jen Ackerman. She is a freelance photographer with the company Ackerman and Gruber, based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hello, Jen. How are you? Great. Thanks. Uh, happy to have you here. It's uh, just you and me tonight, if anybody else was wondering or listening in for a uh, mention to any of our co-hosts. Uh, it's going to be a one-on-one show. we got a lot to talk about, um, a lot of great things going on in the world. And, you know, of course, not great things, but we'll talk about all of it. Um, but before we get into that, uh, Jen, quickly tell me a little bit about yourself and, and kind of how you got into the world of uh, visual journalism and photography. Sure. Um, so, where do we start? Um, start at the beginning. It's a very yeah, good place to start. Let's start there. Um, I played, let's start where in college. Let's do, let's go there. Okay. Um, so I was a soccer player, um, in college, a D1 program and I tore my ACL. No. And around the same time, my dad had given me my first camera. So I spent my first three weeks with a new camera on a couch, just recording this or taking photos of the exact same thing over and over and over and over. That's how I learned how to use my camera. Nice. Um, and then, so I tore my ACL, my, my career was over, right? Um, and the only way to travel with my team was to photograph them. So um, I did that. I learned how to use a camera and I quickly thought I was a photojournalist ready to start out in the newspaper world um, at 21. Um, so I went to the local newspaper and said, I want to freelance for you. And um, it started. Um, I was totally naive and it was wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I just, I approached people um, with, you know, just excitement and I had no portfolio. And it, I think people just wanted, I don't know, just, a human at some point. So anyway, um, excuse me. How does how do you? I mean, were you hired to work for the newspaper without a portfolio, or did you kind of work on spec for them? Yeah. So I mean, it was like one one or two assignments, like the local newspaper at my college, um, my college town. It was like really insignificant. Oh, okay. um, and I one or two. I mean, it was really, but like still, I should not have gone to the local newspaper, right? Like I needed to like learn how to use my camera before photographing anybody else. Yeah. Now knowing, I'm so glad I didn't. Um, and I worked for the school newspaper um, and magazine. And just in the last, I only was in school for the last three months doing that. Um, and then I graduated and I became a writer for a magazine um, as, a, as my real job. And about two years into that, um, there was a program in Denmark that I applied for. My editor was like, yeah, you should go. You should apply. The deadline was the day after I looked into it. I applied that night. She wrote me, wrote me a recommendation on the day after they accepted me. So I was in Denmark two weeks later, um, studying at the Danish School of Journalism. Now, once again, totally naive. My portfolio wasn't very great, but I was surrounded with some of the best photographers in the world. Um, and so that just kind of, you know, gave me an awesome platform um, and 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 base to learn from. And so I learned um, from, like I said, some of the best photographers. Um, I think. Um, Danish, you know, Danish photojournalism at that time was really 
um, I was uh, taking off. I don't know. There, there are some really great advanced photographers that were making great work at the time. Um, and so I was just lucky to be near them and seeing the work that they were creating. Uh, yeah, I came back to the States, started freelancing, um, went, went back to grad school, started getting some internships. I was in grad school from 2006 to 2008, so I graduated not at a great time. Um, newspapers were laying people off left and right. Um, the newspaper world was not a great place to be landing in. Um, so I thought I was going to be a staff photographer and, um, I quickly realized that I was not going to be, um, my husband and I actually interned at the Dallas morning news together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2008, 2009, and they did three layoffs in the, in the time that we were there in one summer or one fall. And so we quickly realized we're like, okay, this is not something that we're going to be doing. We're not going to get a staff job. This is not, this is not happening. Um, so we quickly pivoted. Um, I still interned at the New York times after that, um, just to, because it was the New York Times. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I wasn't going to be a stacker. Um, and so we stayed in New York for a little bit and then moved to Minnesota about nine years ago and started our freelance career here. Nice, so nice. That's a very long story, but hopefully that gives you some insight. No, that's good. And we'll talk about your you know, your relationship with your husband in with regards to the business and sort of the, the nature of teamwork um, a little bit later on in the show. Well, let's go ahead and get started in talking about uh, some of the news topics that have kind of popped, you know, jumped out to me. And the first one uh, was about this Estee Lauder hiring the ISS for a photo shoot. And it just kind of came off to me as something very curious, something I'd never seen before. Just the, the concept of, you know, the space agency, so to speak, um, you know, hiring a, you know, the ISS to... I guess take take photos in space uh, for about one hundred twenty eight thousand dollars. This is how much basically that Estee Lauder is is paying the International Space Station, the folks who run it, to bring their night shade or night rejuvenation, whatever um, serum or cream, up to the space station, and they're going to fly the the bottle in front of I guess the the cupola in in the space station to get a nice shot of like the Earth in the background. Now, I notice on your website, you know, you guys do a lot of commercial work. Uh, what are your thoughts of sort of this sort of commercial photo shoot in what is, you know, many people think of like a, a sort of scientific realm of like the International Space Station. You know, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> it becomes really tricky, right? Like anything. Yeah. When you start crossing the, over, um, people start losing um you start losing credibility in some regard, but at the same time, we've known for a while that, um, I mean, the space was going to be commercialized, right? Like this is something that people were super excited about. There were reservations, I think for the same reason that we were both like, eh, I don't know, like, should we be doing that? Yeah. Should we open that, um, Pandora's box, um, for credibility reasons, right? Um, it's the same reason why, you have to walk a very fine line if you do both editorial and commercial work. So, um, and same scientific and commercial photography, like you just have to really, you have to make sure that when you are, you have to maintain your credibility in some way and you have to really fight for it. 
And so I think that's something that the space station is going to, space endeavors in general are going to have to really work on now that this is like a topic of conversation in mainstream, you know, throughout communities, like they're going to have to really defend their, their scientific endeavors as well. However, we all know, and the reason that I mean, we do commercial work is because we make more money doing that. So, um, you know, there, you have to weigh that. And in order to continue some of our work as editorial photographers, we have to do some commercial work in order to, you know, pay our bills. So, um, I'm not, you know, I'm, I used to be a purist in that, but I think that there's, um, there's a way to do it. And obviously we have, um, I think you just have to make sure that you really maintain that, that line and that when you're doing your other research or doing your other kind of photography that you know the line that you can't cross when you're doing that kind of thing. Where would you put the line if someone asked you, like, what is the line? Like, what would be the constitute yeah. crossing it, in your opinion? Sure. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever put my put words to it. Um, it's more intangible than that? No, there's there are words to it. I just haven't thought through those words. Um, like for instance, I'm thinking, you know, like I see, but I like, I watch YouTube a lot. Right. And so all these like tech reviewers and people who have channels and stuff, you know, they have to put like hashtag ad hashtag sponsored when they make their video and stuff like that. So I think that's how they, you know, when they're trying to be journalistic, right. And, you know, have sort of the credibility that when you watch them you can trust what they're saying you know they have that separation they let you know when they're doing something that's sponsored but obviously that's not the same thing for like a commercial photographer versus a, you know, a journalist i mean you don't have i mean you may have a following on social media but you know you're talking more about the commercial side of things and, and kind of the jobs you do yeah um, i mean I, I think it just goes back to like I, I don't yeah maybe it's intangible but for me i just know that like I know how to I know how to act when I'm working for a magazine. Uh, I don't really I mean obviously for portraits I'll set up a portrait, but there's there's something more that um, yeah I don't know I need to think of this. Sorry, this is not. Uh, uh, I think I think the line comes into play when you're getting paid to do the work, and and there's you know an in, in outside influence. It's like. If you're yeah. if you're working for a magazine and you're covering a company as part of a spread or part of an you know editorial story, that's that's the company that you know the newspaper paying you to do that story or whatever. Or you're doing it freelance. Once the company is paying for you to be there to shoot photographs that are pretty that they want to use for their you know ads or whatever, then obviously that becomes commercialism as long you know as long as you separate those two periods of time. And those, you know, two different payment funds, you know, I think you're fine. But then if you're a freelancer and you shoot something that the brand wants to use for an ad, then of course you have to balance that out and make sure, you know, right. you're, you're making sure you're, you're not yeah. doing anything that could be seen as sketchy. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it's more, I think it's more control, like who has control over the image mm -hmm. that's created. Um, right. Like there's. Although the commercial work that we do, the advertising work that we do is um, often, you know, very similar to our editorial work. And so that's where I'm stumbling because mm -hmm. usually it's, um, 
you know, it's usually storytelling. And so yeah. we're not, really, we're usually letting things kind of happen too. Um, but we are pretty strict in our um, ex- uh, experience as a photographer in terms of like not dictating. Uh, we our, our approach is of storytelling is to let things happen in front of our camera too. Yeah. So uh, I think it'd be different for another photographer whose commercial work is very different from their editorial work. Okay. Well, getting back to the ISS story for a minute, you know, we talked, I asked, you know, in the sort of my notes here, does it demean space exploration? You mentioned, oh, well, space is becoming more and more commercialized. And I agree there. And, and thinking about it, you know, we've got like companies like Tesla and SpaceX and others who want to make space tourism a thing. So it's like in the same regard, what's so different from this and having space tourism or any other sort of commercialization of space? Ultimately, you know, if they need money, they need money. And that's, you know, one way to get it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's unfortunate that some of our the funding for space exploration has been defunded. So, you know, it's that's it kind of goes back to that, right? Like, had had we not defunded some of that stuff, we they wouldn't have to explore some of these other um, endeavors. So, yeah, now you always hear about the you know the multimillionaire, the billionaire who buys like a twenty million dollar ticket to. You know, go float around in space for a few minutes or whatever. Right. What do you think the next product to be advertised in space will be? What what could be some products that people would want to send up Nikes. to a space station? <laughs> What's that? Nikes. I Nikes. Don't know. Shoot. Yeah. That's I, not I mean, a bad idea. I, I, they weigh they weigh a lot. Uh, they don't weigh too much. Exactly. In quarantine, I mean, you know, as we're talking to some of our um, clients and and some people. People in the industry, I mean, they're really having just, they're struggling with how to photograph things. Yeah. Like they're using a lot of illustrations, using a lot of um, product because we can't do, you can't do a lot of lifestyle photography. So this gives companies another opportunity, I guess. I mean, it's going to become really stale very quickly, right? Like, right. Can't, like if we see everything from space, it's going to be really old. It's going to get really old. So. Yeah, be like, eh, They're big deal. Another happen. another object floating in space. Who yeah. cares? Well, that's, I mean, one hundred and twenty-eight thousand. I mean, that seems a lot to me, but I mean, that's not very much. I can't imagine for space, right? No. So I mean, so we're they're gonna have to like have a lot of commercial shoots up there to like make a dent in any of their budgets, right? Um, but like I said, I mean, okay. Uh, after 10 products floating in space, it's going to get pretty old. Yeah, you're yeah. going to find new ways to, like, photograph an object floating in space. Right, right. But yeah. You know, what's funny is the – so I found the story on Petapixel, right, and the graphic they used to illustrate the story, they just photoshopped the makeup in front of the shot of the cupola for the, you know, explanatory photo. So I'll be interested to see – how much better or worse or different the actual photograph looks. Right, right, you know? exactly. Hopefully $128,000. And Indeed, indeed. Well, you know, again, they say like the advertising is one part of it, but the sort of the buzz and the, the feedback from just the story about the, you know, venture is kind of part of their advertising campaign too. It's like, because yeah, this would be relatively easy to Photoshop, I have to imagine. That's true. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about it. Well, we've had commercialism in the space of Tesla. Tesla sent up a, a, a car up to space for their test of one of their rockets or whatever. So I'm like, well, we've already got a car floating in space. Right. What's so the big deal now about we have makeup? makeup. <laughs> yeah, we have makeup. Yeah. I think we're going to see maybe other small objects, batteries, probably. You know, I could see like an Energizer, Duracell, battery mm-hmm. floating in space, maybe Gushers. Yeah, maybe Gushers. Gushers. I don't know. Gushers in space. Uh, Maybe some chips, Doritos. There we go, Doritos and Mountain Dew. That's next. Yeah, now now we're playing football, so we can you know expect a lot of these um, February. That's right, Super Bowl ads in space. I see it now. Mm -hmm. It's crazy what they spend on the ads. Um, so, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about space tourism. Would you take a trip up to the ISS if you had the money to pay for it or any, any space, space tourism? Would you do that? Was it within your reams? Yeah. 128,000. I mean, people buy cars for that, right? I mean, that's not. Well, I can't guarantee what space tourism would cost because this was, you know, cost for bringing up a, a few little bottles of makeup. But, oh, you uh, mean if I had a product, would I send it up there? No, no. If you yourself could fly up in space, if there was a way, if you had the money, if you were a multimillionaire, Jen Ack- yeah. Ackerman. I would go up in space. Yeah. Totally. For okay. 100, I mean, this just doesn't seem, like I said, I mean, that's a lot of money to me. But like if someone were to say, hey, you can go up to space for $100,000, I would maybe take out a loan. Okay. <laughs> Right? I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not that. I mean, it's a once in a lifetime like experience, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I would jump yeah. on that in a heartbeat. I'd take up my, uh, my Canon R5, shoot some 8K space footage. Yeah. Have that forever. Yeah. Cool. Cool. How are you liking that camera? I love it. I think it's a great camera. I'm a big, uh, Canon advocate. I was a Canon 5D Mark II user back in the day. So, you know, when that camera came out and can shoot 1080p video, I was like, I'm sold. Game changer. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is, I see the same basic, you know, mm-hmm. game changingness to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people complain about the 8K and about the, about the overheating and everything like that, but it hasn't been an issue for me. But then again, I don't shoot, I don't know, full on movie productions with it. I'm shooting mostly, you know, lifestyle, vlogging. Um, personal stuff. I actually went yesterday. Yeah, yesterday I was just shooting photos with it, just testing out that capability of the camera, testing out the, you know, the animal eye autofocus and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful camera. The one thing is though, I come from the Panasonic. That was the last camera I used was the GH5 because it could shoot the 4K 60 and and all that great stuff. And I got really used to just being able to press the shutter button when I want to take a photo and then press the record button for a video. And that works on the Canon R5. If you have it in photo mode, you can shoot photo and then press the record button for video, but only records at like 1080p. So in order to shoot like 4K or 8K, you have to actually switch it over to video mode, which is fine. It's just an extra few button presses, but it's something I haven't gotten used to. But other than that, though, I, I love the camera. Do you shoot Canon? What do you shoot? I do. I do. And um, I've been 
we, we, we're, we've been on back order. So oh, okay. Yeah. haven't received it. Yeah, I ordered mine like first day and it still took like two months to get out here. Yeah, we ordered our second day. Oh, oh. Yeah, you'll yeah. get yours sometime mid-2021, I'm guessing. <laughs> exactly. We were like, oh, great, we're getting in there early. Nope, we missed it. We missed it. No, no, no. Yeah, I was there waiting for the actual pre-orders to go live. I was waiting for the announcement to drop and uh, I was clicking as fast as I could to yeah, get it. Yeah, that's why they're back order months exactly i made the mistake though in ordering i ordered it with the lens thinking oh i'm, I'm probably getting a good deal right i've got the kit lens to go with it because okay. i've i have no canon stuff i sold it all like five six years ago and then i come to realize you're not getting any discount for buying the lens and the camera together so i was like why am i why am i even bothering and so i just went on ebay and found the kit lens the 24 to 105 for much cheaper than what it sells for new. And then I had to change my order, though, from you know the, the camera body with the lens to just the camera body alone. So I think that slowed me down. I think if oh, I hadn't changed the order, I would have gotten the camera sooner. But Is that just the normal? Um, are you using the converter? No, it's, it's RF lens. Oh, it's the RF lens. Okay. Yeah, I won't use any converted lens. I mean, I don't have any old lenses to convert. Sure. Um, yeah. but I think, you know, for me, if I'm using a new system with a new mount. I want to use the new glass for it, you know? Yeah. We're, um, we've been using, well, we still use a Mark D or 5D Mark IV, okay. um, workhorse. Um, we have the R we're not a huge, like I, I still haven't gotten used to it yet. So right. I'll be interested to see what this camera is. that um, your first mirrorless camera? The R it is. Okay. Yeah. I tried using the Sony. Um, for a, a couple assignments, and it was I wasn't a huge fan of the color reproduction. Yeah, so yeah, you can't beat that color science from Canon. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say the biggest. You know, obviously when I moved to mirrorless with the uh, the Panasonic GH4, obviously the biggest hurdle was that viewfinder and like getting used <laughs> to the electronic viewfinder. When you spend yeah. your entire life and looking through a traditional viewfinder. And you go to that. It's it's a big adjustment period for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, the, the issue that I'm having right now is just the experience that I'm having as a photographer, right? Like they're just it feels like there's another um, thing in between me and the person that I'm photographing. Hmm. It, it, it's different than having the SLR in front of us, in front of me. Like just the way that I'm seeing through the camera is completely different. Um, so I just have to kind of rethink how I'm pro like reprocess how I'm interacting with the people that I photograph. Now I've heard from other people who have said, Oh, it's great during, you know, COVID. I don't have to like put my eye on the eyepiece. It's wonderful. I can see through, you know, the screen. Um, I still just have that tactile, you know, connection. Um, so we'll see, we'll see if I'm a, if I'm, if I convert to, uh, to, uh, to mirrorless. Well, you I know, I would so, say, like, cool. no. when I'm like, you know, analog going digital, I'm like, oh, I can't do it. No, <laughs> I'll never do it. That's right. That's right. No, it's film for life. Never <laughs> going to you digitographers. No, forget right. that. Film or nothing. Right. Yeah, a yeah, lot of exactly. people have found the correlation between the adjustment between like, you know, 
mirrored and mirrorless cameras is sort of similar from film to digital in that it's sort of that leap for some people. And some people can leap and some people can't leap, you know. And really it depends on what you're trying to do. So if you're just doing photography and you don't need sort of the mirrorless silent shoot capability, you're not doing video, you can get away with still shooting with the DSLR for the foreseeable future, you know. Um, I don't think it's necessarily something you need to jump on. But I would say the big advantage, of course, with mirrorless is the eye tracking, you know, and the sort of really great autofocus systems that comes with the the Canon specifically and also Sony. Um, and I don't think that's possible on the mirrored camera, at least not to the extent. Well, and the question is how much are they going to invest in the mirrored system, right? Like how much, how much longer are they going to be investing? Um, are these companies going to be investing in them? I mean, they put so much effort into, Canon has put so much effort into the system. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years from now it's it's a niche, you yeah. know, it's going to be something where maybe they have one camera that supports the mirrored photographer, but it's going to be, you know, like their 1DX type camera, you know, very niche. But, yeah, but once again, the eye tracking yeah. for, you know, sports would be pretty, it's pretty great. Oh, yeah. I would assume. Well, there's a video, I haven't watched it yet, of a sports um photojournalist who used the the r5 and gave his thoughts on it i've been actually meaning to do like a review of the r5 from my perspective as a photojournalist as a visual journalist um, mm-hmm. i just haven't gotten around to it uh well let's talk a little bit about your company and you know you and your husband work together you know ackerman and gruber that's the name of your company you're obviously freelance photographers based out of minneapolis and I thought it was pretty neat, interesting. We ha- we don't have too many photo couples on. Um, so, you know, talk to us a little bit about how that sort of partnership got started. And, you know, kind of, you said you were working, I think, at the Dallas Morning News, right? Before you moved oh, to Minneapolis? We interned at the Dallas Morning News together. Okay. And, and then we worked, um, let's see, I'm trying to figure out timing here. So we um, worked on a, I was working on a, a project about mental illness in prison wow. um, before that. And he was working and then he joined me in the prison and was working on a project about aging out. So dying in prison. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so we worked on, um, we worked on those private, those projects simultaneously. We were like in the prison all day long. We lived across the street from the prison. Um, we were just, you know, all about those projects for about three months. Um, and we said, if we can do this, <laughs> you know, like maybe we could get married. Um, and that's how it started. And um, it was either that we were going to work together and get married or not get married and not work together. So it's all all or nothing. It's pretty nice. You can tell people your relationship grew in prison. Yeah, exactly. We were in I prison guess. together. How'd you meet? We were in prison together. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, I'll, tell, I'll say something along those lines. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we were in prison. And people are like, Take, take a deep breath. I'm like, oh, we were working on a project in a prison for, you know, a number of months, to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just a project, a project. That's right. <laughs> it was just a project. Well, that's right. great. And so you, you've you been working together and you, you met that way and you've kind of been, obviously, you're married. Um, but, you know, talk to me about, like, working together with your husband as sort of a team on assignments and stuff like that. How do you... 
how do you balance sort of the you know the the husband and wife stuff with the work stuff is it is it difficult to turn off the work stuff when you're at home trying to be like husband and wife or is it is it something that's always happening or is it easy to turn off at the beginning of our careers it was we didn't we didn't turn it off okay. like there was just there's no turn off it was just all all photo all day long which was really great for us and our careers right like we were just we were in it we were terrible friends not that we're any better friends now because we leave at a, a moment's notice and drop date nights and stuff but we um yeah at the beginning we were we would just talk about photos and do you know we had our own things we were biking and um we had road bikes and we we would do stuff but it was all you know we would always talk about photo and at some point we recognized that we needed to like take a break after a couple of years we're like okay we are this is too much like this is really taking a toll on us so so we started really uh, trying to turn it off um and we have an office in the upstairs of our house and so that helps it kind of separates us from our work that doesn't mean that we don't come up here um you know after five but we really try to to have weekends like weekends are really special for us now whereas at the beginning it was like seven days a week didn't matter i mean we have assignments on the weekend but like if we don't then we try to take advantage of it or if we don't have a deadline where we don't have to edit we really do try to take a weekend off um and not take photos um whereas at the beginning of our career it was like if we had a weekend that we didn't have an assignment we were off doing a project uh, so and we still do some of that but we try to take some time off and do our thing. My, I, and so the marriage aspect of our, of our relationship is very easy, right? Like, um, after talking about creatively all day long and, you know, butting heads and in, in that regard, you know, but like home stuff is, is quite easy. So uh, that's the benefit of working with your spouse if it works. It, right. uh, it is, uh, you get it out, you get all your fights out. Um, creatively and we have to be really good at communicating right like sure, if you sure. everybody if you have a partner you'd realize how how important that is but when you're making money based on that partnership it's really important so like if we are if we are not on the same page we are losing money so um we have to make sure that like we're really communicating through like trying to think of an issue like if if one of us really wants to take a detour in some way um we really have to talk that through or if we're on if we're on a on an assignment and you know we have like half hour to set up lights or something for a portrait and we have five minutes with somebody i mean in that in those 30 minutes we probably fight more than we will for the next three weeks um at home so hey yeah we get back there yeah, you know, I was thinking about my wife and, and our relationship and with regard to what our creative interests are. And she doesn't have nearly the, you know, the photo bug that I do. You know, it's not her, it's not her forte, right? She's a wildlife biologist, you know. And, but she has gotten into photography because I'm into photography. And it's funny because I've switched more to shooting video and now she's the photographer. So, like, when we go out, you know, on the weekends to places, she'll be picking up the camera and taking pictures and I'm actually shooting video. So it's like, We've almost switched roles in a way, um, but you know she doesn't have you know again the passion I do, but she does have the interest and she does you know yeah. participate in it. So 
I think it's great when you can find somebody who has a similar passion as you do. And like you said, it could be either something that is is great and it works like in your case, or it can be something that could probably tear a couple apart, you know, I think. Like, do you all critique each other's work? Um, at the beginning, I'm, uh, we did for sure. Um, now I don't think we critique it as much as we say, oh, I, I, that was not a good approach or you did not have a very good shoot or, I mean, we're pretty honest. Um, I don't, we don't go through, yeah, I guess we do now that I'm thinking about it. Um, we have our own thing. So like Tim does, Tim calls all the photos down, um, to a, a easier digestible thing. And then I do fi- usually do, do a final edit. Um, okay. so we, we usually talk about them, um, at some point. Um, but yeah, at the beginning of our careers, we were more like we were editing everything. I mean, now we have too many assignments to like actually like, see, you know, go through a portfolio every time we go, um, out on the shoot. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, at the beginning of our careers, we recognized that like we had to put away, put aside our ego. I mean, this whole industry is all about individual talents. And so we had to, we quickly realized like if we were, su- if we were super concerned about our individual selves, we were not going to succeed in this, um, which really, I think we've really benefited from it. Not only just with the partnership that we have, but like with the people that we photograph, I think that there's something that they recognize um, that, I don't, and I think our photos kind of show it too. I hopefully, like, I don't think, I think that we just don't, we enjoy what we do, but we don't care about the other stuff that goes along with the industry. Um, and yeah, I do sometimes, right? Like this industry can like be pretty brutal, but, um, but we don't really care about awards or grants. I mean, we still, we still do them for marketing purposes, but it's not like this thing that like, we hold true to, and it doesn't define us. Um, and we had to really do that early on, probably early, maybe earlier on than other photographers would have to, just because we were working so tightly together. And it was really, there was a point when, um, you know, we were both getting grants and I think we were jealous of some, you know, in some way. And I was, and both of us were like, this is stupid. Like we're going after the exact same thing. We're after the same goal. We're doing this together. And, um, and so we we had to really work through the ego part of it. No, that's definitely important. You know, I was thinking back to what you said about your, you know, your you uh, you would make the selects or he would make the selects and then you would make the final selects. And I, I do that with my wife as well. I'll make the yeah. initial selects and then he'll let her call that down to the ones she actually wants to like post on social media or something like that because she's very particular about what she posts with her in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you, you, I think, you know, many would people would consider you lucky in terms of finding someone who you can obviously marry and share your life with and share your interests with. Um, what about for, what would you tell people or, or have you had experiences working with other teammates that weren't your life partner? And how would you sort of tell someone who wants to maybe have like a team where, cause it, this is a very solitary, you know, job and career field for the most part, right? It's usually you and your camera and you're working, but do you have any sort of advice for someone who may want to be in a team who isn't a team and not necessarily like a husband and wife team, but just a team or a group, you know, in this sort of freelance world, any sort of a, a, you know, advice for anyone who might seek that? I think you need it, right? Like I think you need some kind of partner in this. 
Um, whether it's somebody across the, the world who's doing something similar to you, so you don't feel like you have to you have to weigh the partnership with competition, right? So you don't want to have a partner that you feel competitive with. Um, but you need somebody that you trust. You need somebody that you can like ask questions um, or talk through stuff. I mean, like I said, this this industry can be pretty brutal. And I think um, as we are experiencing isolation right now, I think people are really um, looking for people to trust to talk through things um, because it's really hard to work in this industry without um, without having somebody that you can really trust. And I think it's really important. I think it's a, an aspect of success as a photographer. I think you need, um, you know, some people have, have agents or reps, which I think is um, a good relationship. Um, you're paying for that. Um, so you have to, but that's, I think it's important for some people's careers, like to change their careers by having someone that they can really trust to get good feedback and just to like talk through photos and talk through where you should be going. Um, at the beginning of our careers, we had, um, weekly meetings. And so we would sit down and have like a very strict, rigid, like 30 minute meeting. And I think just having like a partner that you can um, maybe not have something like that, but really have a, a relationship that you can call them and be like, Hey, I had this assignment. What do you think? Um, because photo editors are not going to be those people. You know, they might be, you might be lucky enough to have a photo editor that you really trust, but they, people move on too. And they're not gonna, they don't have time. They're getting paid to do this. And so, um, I think having somebody that you really trust is, is huge. Um, and somebody that like, if you needed a second photographer that you could trust them to like jump on board without, without any question. Um, and they would know how you work because, um, wh whether they've been on set with you or not, they know your photos really well. Right. So a lot of people have assistants. Um, and I think having a consistent assistant or, um, you know, just like another, like I said, another photographer outside of your market is a, a good idea. Okay. No, I like that idea. You don't don't try and pair up with someone you're going to compete with. So if it's try and find maybe someone in a different sector of the industry or a different market uh, would yeah. probably be a good idea. And I think I mean people do it right. Like you can you can do it with people that are, but I just don't think you're going to be as honest. Yeah. Um, no, that honesty is very important. And you were interesting. You said about the editors and whatnot. We had. Um, a guest on last week who had his own consulting agency, you know, and he talked about how, you know, he would be that sort of soundboard for mm -hmm. people and also be able to, you know, give them guidance and, you know, potentially connect them with different sort of people in the industry to help them get work. But again, like you said, you know, that's not free. You know, that you're, that's something you're paying for. That's not a cohabitable, you know, relationship. That's, you know, an exchange for goods and services, so to speak. And if you have a bad day, you're not going to call that person up. Right. Like if you have a really bad assignment and something goes really wrong, you're holding that inside. You're not going to put that on, on Instagram. You're not going to put that on Twitter unless you have someone that you really trust to talk it through and like figure out how to like make it better. Or like, I don't, I just think that's it. It's a really great thing to have somebody that you can um, really process assignments or, you know, relationships, you know, within the industry gone bad or, you know, it was just really. 
you know, I was just thinking, have you had any like good or bad experiences specifically that come from working with a team, whether it's your husband or, or any teams that you've worked on in the past? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a beautiful ass. I mean, one of the reasons we got married is because we get to see each other in the most beautiful phase and create creativity, right? Like every time I get to work with Tim, um, on an assignment, like we are just so attracted to each other. It's just like that thing that we were attracted to at the beginning. And it kind yeah. of brings us back to like that moment. Um, I, I think there's beauty in collaborating with another person. Um, and it allows you to be more creative. It allows you to push a little bit harder. Um, it also, you know, requires you to be flexible and what your expectations are of things. And I think, that the end product is better. Yeah. Of that. I also think, I mean, from our experience and we didn't recognize this early on in our career, but like people respond to us um, as a married couple in a way that um, we don't experience when we're on assignments by ourselves. Right. There's something about the communication that we have or what we bring to an assignment um, that other people recognize. And we've heard it multiple times from people. And we've also like, experienced people tell us things that were like like within five minutes i mean they're just they're these the doors just you know are open like there's just a vulnerability that we experience as a as a team um but but working with other people um collaboratively has been wonderful too i mean there are drawbacks right like you have to be flexible in what your expectations are um and so you can't have um, you can't have it your way all the time. I mean, you can suggest things, um, but also recognize that like sometimes the other people's ideas are fantastic. Like I'm so thankful. And some other times you're like, oh, really, this is like, it's not a good experience. So I think it, I think there's, there are benefits to, uh, to collaborating and, and knowing who you're collaborating with and knowing their strengths too, and knowing their weaknesses and being able to compensate. Yeah, you know, it was interesting you mentioned the sort of the I and, and whatnot. Do you both go on assignments together all the time or do you kind of cover assignments separately? And have you had clients necessarily request you or your husband specifically because of their style? Yeah, our style is very similar at this point. Okay. Um, early on in our careers, we thought it was so different. But looking <laughs> back, it's really, really similar. Yeah. Um, but coming from a photojournalism, you know, grad school, um, everyone was similar. And so like, it was just very, you know, very small differences made it feel like our portfolios were completely different. Right. Um, but now I feel now if, if we are in different spots, um, like if, if Tim is in another room and I'm photographing with a longer lens, that might, that's the only, re that's the only way we're going to be able to figure out who is, who photographed what photo. I mean, unless there's like a photo that I really remember taking um when we bring it back it really feels um like there's questions like or maybe like three years ago three years from now i'll be like i don't like did i take like there would be questions of who actually took the photo because it's very similar yeah. in our approach um we work um i would say about 80 percent together okay uh, 80 to 90 percent together um and are you both yeah, taking pictures or is like one the photographer and the other one sort of the assistant? Both. 
Um, it depends on the project. Um, most of the time, the person who answered the email or answered the call will be the, the, um, the person who's leading the assignment or the shoot. And then the other person will be assisting. But that means like when we show up, I'm, you know, saying hi to the person and then that's really it. Right. From there on out, it's both of us either photographing or someone holding a light or someone dictating where the light needs to go. Um, most of our stuff is lit. So um, it's nice having a person who knows where a night light needs to go before you even know that it needs to be moved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, often one of us will take over lighting and the other person will take over um, the camera. But then once the lighting is kind of in, in place, often both of us will have a camera in hand. Yeah. Um, unless it's not required, like unless it's a really quick assignment, really easy um, portrait. Um, yeah. Or it depends on the budget, right? Like if there's a budget for two photographers, then we both are, are photographing. If there's, if, if there is not a budget for two photographers, but we're both really interested in the both of us are photographing. Right. So I think it just, it depends on, those two things. Cool, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about camera gear. Um, Sony just announced, or actually, they didn't announce anything. There are rumors of Sony releasing a new A9 camera. A9, of course, is Sony's sort of professional level 1DX Mark II, Nikon D6, sort of equivalent competitor. And these cameras range from about four to six thousand uh, dollars, depending on you know their age and whatnot. And the Sony A9 II, I think, is the latest version of the camera. So this rumor is basically saying that Sony's going to release a, a 50 megapixel base, you know, camera that can shoot 8K and all kinds of stuff like that. And I know you said you weren't like super duper into the tech before we started, uh, but you have used some Sony cameras. Uh, did you use the A9 or what cameras from Sony did, did you use? Yeah. Okay. I used the A9. Um, I mean. It was interesting. I needed a silent shutter yeah. for a couple of assignments, so it was great. Um, but I just, once I brought it back in the field, I was like, these photos are fantastic. This looks great. Like, this on the screen, it was like, oh, I'm sold. Like, this is amazing. And then I brought it back to the computer, and I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> this A does not look like my work, and B, the color is completely off. And yeah. like I said, I mean, I am not a... Could you fix it in post? No, I mean, it's, I mean, I could, but it, it just didn't, like, things just didn't look great. Um, I mean, I, yeah, of course I could do, but I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time in post either. So that would have been a real, it was a deal breaker for me. Just like the actual image. I was like, oh, that's disappointing. Um, but I used it a couple of times just because it was helpful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the eye tracking was, was fantastic. I mean, Mind you, I'm sure I would have gotten used to Sony, you know, the color of Sony and, and how to use the camera after a while. But I was happy to come back to Canon after those couple times. Yeah, we were having quite the debate uh, the past last few weeks. Uh, myself and one of my co-hosts, Travis Keys, he's very much a Sony shooter. And so we were talking about the R5 because we've got another co-host, Evelyn Hochstein, who is on the fence about exactly which camera to get because she wants to move to mirrorless. She's a 5D Mark IV shooter. Uh, she's a photojournalist in D.C., but 
you know, D.C. now and a lot of shooting like on the Capitol Hill, they're expecting people to be able to shoot with a mirrorless camera because they want that, you know, quiet shooting, right? It's becoming more and more of a prerequisite. So she knows she has to switch to mirrorless for that reason alone. And so I've been trying to convince her to go the R5 route and Travis is trying to convince her to go the A9 route or, you know, anything within Sony. And so she still hasn't decided. Um, but, you know, again, what I told her was if you're a Canon user, it's a lot easier, I think, to go to a Canon camera than go to a whole new system. And yeah. uh, I'd say that color science, just like, you know, that's that can be a deal breaker for some people. So um, I love the Canon color science. I think they, they just do it right. And, I mean, you can use the mounts for your old lenses. You're not throwing right. a whole system away. I mean, at some Right when Sony came out, we were considering just like, uh, there's a lot of photographers at the Star Tribune, the Minneapolis newspaper. Like, as soon as this came out, everyone sold all their gear, all their Canon stuff, all their Nikon stuff, and, and, and switched over to Sony. And so we were like, oh, wow, like, this must be like amazing. <laughs> and I'm very thankful that we didn't like jump ship right away. Right. Because we have so much invested in Canon gear. Yeah. And I mean, we'll start investing in the, the R lenses, is that RF lenses? RF, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll start investing in those um, lenses. They they look really awesome. I love that they're like there are there are lenses that are like what one one hundred to five hundred or one hundred to seven hundred. I don't know what the the lengths are, but um, but those lenses look pretty amazing. But they're expensive, so yeah. if you need to switch over, you know, slowly. Right. Um, and because we we have to buy two cameras at all times. Okay. Right. So right away we have to buy two. No, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And you yes. said you have your R five is on order, and you're just mm -hmm. waiting to get shipped. It's on back order yeah. essentially, right? Okay. Yeah. So we have um, at all times we have four cameras. Right. Two per person. Two per person. So when we buy a new camera, we always buy two, and then we hold off and buy two more uh, later on. So we're investing a lot in that camera system. Yeah. No, I mean, it's pricey. Yeah. Um, and we have two lenses for each person. So one lens for each person. So, right, like we always have the 24 to 70, you know, 70 to 200. And then we have duplicates of most of our lenses. So, so for us to switch over to Sony would have been really expensive. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I bet that. I just, again, I switched over from Panasonic to Canon and sold pretty much every single lens I had for that system. And yeah. so I think I got about enough to pay for almost the majority of the R5. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, I mean, yeah, that's a good thing about, you know, are you, so, I mean, you, you're going to explore the RF glass at some point over time, but yeah. in the meantime, you will use an adapter for the R5 for the meantime? In the meantime, um, I think we'll probably, I don't even know. I, honestly, I haven't really looked at the lenses. Tim usually is like, I, mean, he, I think he's been watching YouTube videos um, yeah. on the, the R5 since we've ordered it. Um, yeah, I did so that too. Mind you, I don't do that. I'm just happy when a camera works and right. in the, an extension of me. Um, but as you know, you have to work pretty hard to get to that point. But I don't do like research on like, it's not like Canon comes out with like multiple cameras at the same time where I have to make decisions. Like I just right. buy the camera. That seems like the next best thing. Um, yeah. So we'll buy, we'll be buying those lenses once we commit, I think to 
um, the archive. Like once we're like, okay, this right. is awesome. This this is changing. This yeah. is life changing. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I haven't, I, I can't knock the converter for what I've been told. Like, it's almost one to one in terms of, you know, what you're getting for the converter. Like, you're very losing very little, or you know, the only thing you're really getting with the RF is, I think, better, better obviously, glass. better glass, better autofocus, better everything. It's it's faster, but you know, I think what you're used to now with your current glass, you will get the same or equivalent performance with the R5. It's just when right. you want better performance or better light or better lower aperture or whatever. Like I think the 28 to 70 F2 is a pretty marvelous lens on the yeah. RF side. Um, but it's just so expensive. Well, that's just it. I yeah. mean, we're like, okay, let's just get these two cameras and let's process what we need to do next to, to make this work. Yeah. No, so you'll have two cameras. So will you split the bodies up? Like you'll have one body, he'll have another, or will one person be the dedicated yeah, I mean, R5 shooter? Right now, during COVID, we are not being sent off in multiple areas. And I think we've only had two days. Well, a couple, there were a couple days in May and June when we had, we were both photographing in different places. It's been, I mean, often we are both in two different places. Um, and since the last couple months, we've been helping each other on shoots. Yeah. Um, so. so you just kind of bounce so, back and forth, like whoever, so, whoever's yeah, the so photographer that day. We'll, yeah. Well, we usually use um, the better cameras on, like, we'll just we kind of just split them up as needed. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. So Sony is off the table. Canon is going with it. So you're going to get these two cameras. And then if you like the R5 system, you get two more and you'll be just transitioning over to RF stuff. Sell all your Mark 5D Mark IV bodies and no, we'll all your them. We'll just turn it to bricks. They just, we don't actually sell cameras. Oh, really? Yeah. We always keep them. Huh. Um, just in case one of our bodies goes down, we have to ship it in. Yeah. That's a good point. Or like, um, they, you just don't, we never get money, enough money to justify selling them because we work them to death. Right. Like, yeah, I think we've probably, I don't, I don't know how many photos the, the mark, the 5d mark fours. I, I, I have no idea. We've replaced the shutter on them. Like at least once on both cameras, Wow. on all the cameras. Um, we photograph a lot. So, wow. um, I think we go, we go through about 14 terabytes a year. Wow. On a 5D Mark IV. Wow. Pretty small. That's a, that's a lot for photos, just for photos. Just for photos, not video. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously, so, you're shooting everything raw. Shooting everything raw, and there are two photographers. Right. But, but still, I mean, those cameras are like, we put them through the ringer. So, yeah. um, so by the time we like go to sell them, any of our cameras, it's like, these things are worth maybe a thousand dollars at the most. So it's just like one of those things that we just keep at some point. We'll have a, an archive of really old bricks sitting on our desk. Well, you go to the Ackerman Gruber camera museum and see the ages of camera over the years. Exactly. The only cameras that will, I mean, we have like, we've been talking about getting rid of um, our Pentax and our, um, all of, some of our film cameras that we don't use that much anymore. Right. Um, the, I, don't, I haven't used the Pentax in so long, but I mean, we have like a whole arsenal of lenses, but we just haven't used it. Yeah. Um, in so long. So I was going to say, you use, you use film cameras? Really? 
Or you, when was uh, the last time you used a film camera? Um, three years ago, maybe. Okay. I, I shoot on um a four by five. Ah, oh, okay, got it. All right. So was that for a client uh, or personal? Personal work. Okay. Uh, although I had a client, I've had a couple clients ask, uh, but I was working on a project specifically using a four by five. Okay. But I haven't. I have not even opened it up. I don't know. My four by five might have mold on it at this point. I have no idea. Like it's just been sitting in the basement. Yeah. In a box. Yeah. That's kind of the same with my film cameras. I've got a few of them, and uh, like I said, I, I have no interest in shooting film. A friend of mine still does some film photography. You know, yeah. he, he enjoys it. It's more of a hobbyist type thing, but he'll have it with him and you know take various yeah. shots with it. I'm like, eh, it's all going to end up online digitally anyways. So I'm like, yeah. What's the well, big deal? Well, and for me, it's it. I mean, film. I mean, the large format aspect of the four by five is what. Because yeah. it's an experience, right? Like it's a completely sure. different experience when you're photographing people. Um, and I was doing it in the middle of winter. So yeah. like that also brought an element of like difficulty and, um, yeah, maybe three years ago. We'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll break it out this winter. Oh, okay. Great. I look forward to it. Uh-huh. All right. Well, uh, Jen, we're getting to the end of our show, so I want to give you the opportunity to kind of tell people where uh, they can find about more about you and your work. Sure. Um, so um, my website is ackermangruber.com, um, and Instagram is the same, ackermangruber. It's pretty much where you can find our work. Um, and on the pages of magazines and often the New York Times. Do you get people like Contoel? I'll be, I'll be honest. I was, uh, when I was looking you up, I was kind of like, I thought, I thought like the name was Ackerman Gruber. Like I thought that was like first name Ackerman, oh, last sure. name Gruber. You ever yeah. get that? We'd like to talk to Mr. Gruber or we'd like to talk to John Ackerman Gruber. Well, I often, no, I don't. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for taking time out to talk to us today about all kinds of rando topics and, and interesting things. Truly appreciate it. Um, again, uh, you're welcome back anytime to talk about what's going on. If you've got any projects or something you'd like to talk about, please let us know. We have to love to have you on. And maybe once you get the R5s and you get to try them out, you can come back on and tell, you what, tell us what you thought of them. Yeah, totally. That'd be great. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, I've been David J. Murphy. This has been Episode 244 of Around the Lens. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. You find out more about our show by going to AroundTheLens.com, where you can find all the social media links that we have. we got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and whatnot, YouTube, of course. Uh, if you'd like to show, excuse me, if you'd like to support the show financially, you can go to Patreon.com slash AroundTheLens and throw us a little uh, money each month, and we'll be sure to give you everything we do as soon as we can and as early as possible. All right. Well, again, Jen, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Like I said, I've been David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 244, and we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, aroundthelens.com. 
Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at aroundthelens.com.